All right, welcome to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip. And this is Robert. And we're back. Uh, we've been a bit of an absence and we do apologize, but today we're starting off with uh, a new president. It's going to be about the seventh president, Andrew Jackson. Do you want to begin? Do you have well, any before I, I, I'd just like to congratulate you. Uh, Phil has uh, joined the faculty at a high school in New York City. And that's been a major factor in our absence from the air as he's been uh, learning his new job and getting used to the faculty. So congratulations, Phil. Thank you. Uh, This is a big accomplishment. And uh, today we're going to talk about Andrew Jackson. And in the uh, aftermath of the midterm 2018 elections, in which uh, our country seems to have divided itself along nationalist against anti-nationalist lines, I think the uh, reputation of Jackson has suffered immensely. Uh, I tend to view Jackson as one of the more consequential presidents, if not a great president, uh, certainly one of the most consequential in our history, one of the men who actually shaped the national character. Now, I can hear people slamming glasses down on their tables and threatening to shut off their their podcast and uh, complaining about how can I say this. But our country's history has not always been a history of progress, humanitarianism, and enlightenment. To a, a, a very great degree, our country has uh, dark actions and darker attitudes Uh, which helped shape our national character. And in viewing Jackson as a political figure, in viewing Jackson as an individual, in viewing Jackson as one of the consequential and formative leaders of our nation, we have to face the dark, and even in cases disgraceful, episodes of American history and American political development. So, um, well, we're, we're I, gonna, go ahead. Can I interject? I mean, do you think it's a, are you, is the picture you want to paint of Jackson, and we'll get into it, but is it a picture that's full of dark and disgraceful chapters, or is it a picture of a, a man who had good and dark and light sides? So, I, I rarely quote Confucius, okay. but one of the Confucian sayings that I find the most use for is when Confucius said, what's big in the front is big in the back. Okay. Okay. So Jackson is a big figure. I mean, when, when I was in school and we're talking back to the, to the uh, early to mid sixties, uh, I graduated from high school in 1970. Uh, Jackson was the subject of hagiography of, of being portrayed as a saintly figure. Uh, the one of, one of, uh, President Kennedy's inner circle, William Manchester, wrote a huge biography of Jackson, you know, and I'll be uh, utilizing that as, as a resource. And I, I recommend it to the, to the listeners to, to read uh, William Manchester's The Age of Jackson. Uh, so during Kennedy's administration, you know, my formative years, uh, Jackson was, was hailed as a great figure. Since then, We've expanded how we teach American history 
I believe the public has expanded its view of history, and we recognize there are a lot of things that Jackson did which he can right, rightly be vilified for. But his his figure, his 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 uh, towering stature in American history is so humongous, so gargantuan, that he can't be typified as a villain. I mean, he had very good things that he did. He had very bad things that he did. I mean, this is a real mix. This is this is what makes history so fascinating. It's not the story of these great people who consistently did great things. It's the story of very flawed people who struggle with their flaws and sometimes accomplish great things. And Jackson really shows that. Okay, perfect. Um, can you set up the kind of context for Jackson, where he was born, what was the world he was born into, and what was his, let's say, uh, cut in the world? So uh, the first thing we know about Jackson is that he was an orphan. His father was killed in a, in a lumbering accident mm-hmm. or something. Uh, you know, so he was an outdoorsy guy working up in the woods. Uh, Jackson grew up in very hilly country, so they were they were harvesting timber off hills and you know we can just imagine you know with the the uh mature old growth forest the huge trees of hard wood that they were were cutting down and moving around on these on these steep hillsides how difficult that was and you know whatever whatever the conditions were jackson's father was killed uh engaged in that line of work so you know we know that the community that he grew up in the people who he who surrounded him as a child were you know very tough, very uh, forward-looking, very future-oriented, outdoorsy, uh, just just hard-working people. I mean, there's some debate as to whether he was born in South Carolina or North Carolina. Yeah, who knows? I mean, somewhere along there, wherever his mother was <laughs> when that happened, you know. Okay, and he was born to a, a big family. And are there any anecdotes from his childhood? Well, the big one is that uh, when the British Army went through... Well, he was born in uh, 70, no, 67. 67. 67. The, the Revolutionary War was fought from 76 to 83. So he's about 10. And uh, he might have been a little older than that when this happened, uh, the uh, episode I'm about to relate. Um, the British Army under Cornwallis invaded the South. The British thought that the southern states had more loyalist tendencies, and they thought that by marching through and showing the power of the British Empire, the British Kingdom, whatever they thought of it as back then, that uh, loyalists would flock back to the colors and they would uh, renew the loyalties of the South and uh, take a big step towards uh, stamping out the rebellion. And it didn't work out that way for them. And in fact, near where Jackson grew up uh, was fought the Battle of Cowpens between the Tories and the Americans, the the revolutionaries, uh, which the Americans won. Tories were defeated. And there was another battle between the British Army and uh, American partisans, basically, uh, in which the Americans used the... uh, Indian tactics of basically skirmishing, hiding behind fences, stone outcroppings, uh, 
trees, using the terrain features to pick off British soldiers in their formations or in their movements. Uh, aiming at the officers first, who were easily recognized by the gold braid and the big epaulets they had on their uniforms, you know, understanding that if they knocked off the officers and the senior NCOs, the senior non-commissioned officers, who also were uh, distinctively uniformed, that they could uh, reduce the British into a milling mob. Mm -hmm. And they used those tactics very successfully. And the British were very frustrated with fighting the Americans as the Americans employed these kinds of tactics. And the British had basically the same sort of feelings toward the Americans, which uh, contemporary Americans have toward terrorists. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at one time, a British officer stayed in uh, the Jackson family home. And while he was there, he demanded that young Andrew polish his boots. Andrew refused. And Andrew was quite vociferous about this. And uh, so this is around 81 or so. So Andrew would have been by then close to 14, 13 years old, somewhere in there. You know, probably was a big kid. Uh, probably, you know, had some weight to throw around in the face of this British officer. Uh, the off, uh, Andrew, the officer, uh, lost his temper with Andrew and hit him with the sword. Uh, the first time he hit him, the sword was in the scabbard. Andrew tried to grab the sword from the officer. The officer pulled back, drew the sword, threatened Andrew. Andrew lunged at him and he slashed Andrew across the face. And Andrew had a big scar, uh, that he had on his face for the rest of adolescence and through his life inflicted by a British officer in an argument over polishing the officer's boots. And, uh, you know, this is pretty uh, typical Standard of Andrew's character. You know, I mean, this is a British officer who's got the backing of the British Army standing there in front of him with a sword, and Andrew still is defiant and confrontational. All right. And... Um His brother dies in in a uh, kind of related episode where Andrew and his brother are out and about, I guess, or trying to do some kind of, uh, I imagine, reconnaissance or something as boys or adolescents, and then they get taken captive for a bit. They finally get their release, and they're walking home, and the brother catches... Uh, Something diphtheria, some you know, some common disease, and dies like yeah. about two miles from their house. Yeah, um, and again, you know, the responsibility of the British Army, and you know, the, the way I heard it, they were out squirrel hunting. Okay. So you know, who knows what they were doing? I mean, okay. they might have been caught by the British and said they were squirrel hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, when they were really engaged in espionage. I mean, we don't know. And then, and then the mother. So Andrew's sick also, but lives through it. And then the mother. Uh, volunteers to help out some some American prisoners of war who have cholera and ends up dying as complications to that. So Andrew really feels like he lost his brother and he lost his mother to British depredations. Right. And uh, all right, so he's completely orphaned uh, by fourteen. Let's say what goes from there. So he he. Uh did what so many others did 
and moved west. Did he have any, do we know if he had any internalizing of that emotional trauma? Or? Uh, he just never seemed to care. I mean, he was willing to take on anybody. And I'll mention some episodes about that. Um, I think the biggest internalization, the biggest uh, external feature of the internalization was his um, near worship of his wife. Um, help me with her name. Rachel. Rachel. Uh, he was stuck on her like in a way that is just like almost beyond belief. Mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, well, I'll, I'll go into the episode. Uh, and, Apparently, this is before he he's in the militia or no? Yes, this is early in life. He he might he he I think he had gone through his his clerkship back then. You could clerk, and basically you worked as an understudy for lawyers, and they gave you progressively harder legal work to do. And then when you got to the point that they thought you were ready, you could take the bar, the bar exam. Did you did, and enter the bar? Did Andrew? Um, he didn't have a lot of formal schooling. He had almost no formal schooling. So he, he, he clerked. He was apparently a very intelligent man. Uh, he, he gained a voluminous knowledge of the law. He was good at settling disputes. He was good at applying legal, prudent, uh, legal precepts. Uh, you know, his well, subsequent... Still rough shot, his subsequent career showed that he was a master in jurisprudence, but again, he had like no credentials, no formal education. I mean, he learned it from when you meet, if you were the attorneys. If you were to meet him, he's not going to be someone who's, who's going to seem highly sophisticated? Uh, he was tall. Mm -hmm. Throughout his life, because of, of his, his various injuries, uh, because of the diseases which he survived, he was always very thin. Okay. Uh, he had this huge livid scar mm -hmm. across his face. He always had his hair, but they said his hair was brushy and the, the, the texture and coarseness of a horse's mane. Okay. Apparently he was loud. Okay. He had a real backwoodsy accent. Oh, okay. Uh, Southern draw. No, more like a twang, more like a, a, a mountain twang. Okay, like a Kentucky twang. Yeah. Uh, he didn't engage in manual work, but he was very strong, uh, I guess, because of fighting and whatever else he did. Neither handsome nor ugly? By their standards, I'd say he was pretty ugly. Okay. You know, by, by modern standards, I'd say he's almost grotesque. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, I mean, you got you to picture this guy. I mean, he's weather-beaten. He doesn't take care of himself. He drinks a lot. He's got this big scar. He's loud. His teeth are probably rotting out his mouth. You know, I mean, he's not an attractive man. So he's not a sophisticated, uh, cut, cutting a, the cut of his jib is not a, like a sophisticated, he's not a white-shoed lawyer. So, he's, so, so, so oh. Nashville was a frontier city. When did he move to Nashville? Right after his mother died? Probably late teens. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it was a place you would go to make a make a. Make well, a it was name. it was the capital of the territory, uh, Tennessee. But why not stay in the Carolinas? 
Well, he was in the marginal area of the, of the Carolinas. Okay. The Carolinas had an ensconced slaveocrat uh, plantation society. Okay. So the eastern part of, of the state of North Carolina, which even today is like super conservative. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where Jesse Helms had his stronghold. And Jesse Helms, for those who might remember, was the uh, premier southern Republican racist candidate and uh, during the Reagan administration, mm-hmm. uh, beat Harvey Dent, the mayor, the African American mayor of Charlotte, in the governor's election or in the Senate election, with a commercial which showed a pair of white hands, gnarled, veined, clearly male, opening an envelope and saying, "You needed this job. You wanted this job. You were suited for this job. You were qualified for this job." But you didn't get it, mm. implying that it went to an affirmative action care mm-hmm. person. Okay. So, you know, clearly racist of, of the most perfidious, okay. pernicious sort. So, you know, Jackson just even, even you know, though he now has such a poor reputation for his racial uh, views, couldn't abide by that sort of uh, okay. society. So, he, so he, went, he went to the frontier where it was more free. Now, Tennessee, was unfortunately, more, failed him. Was there more room for growth in Tennessee? Well, it was a frontier. And Andrew grew up on the frontier. So he knew the society. It was his natural environment. Okay. Now, and, and yes, there were you know, uh, tens of millions of acres was of he, undeeded land. Was he of the mind that he had high ambitions and aspirations or he was just living his life? I would say Andrew always, always had a Presbyterian notion of complete and total excellence in all the aspects of life. You know, the, the, the Presbyterians deny that uh, we're saved. I mean, apparently they believe in some idea that the saved are already determined God knows who they are. We have no clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that they have to live good works and live up to their full potential. And Andrew really, really subscribed to that. And, and in all his, all his doings, okay. tried to live up to his full potential. Okay. So, so he, may, he may not have had, let's say, ambitions as much as he was trying to develop himself. Yes. Okay. So he gets out of Tennessee. So, you know, was a lawyer and uh, a rising figure. Uh, met Rachel, fell in love. Do we know where they met? There, there's probably Just a record of it, but I, I think, you know, they had like this circuit of dances and sports. And her family and, were, what, planters? Well, uh, she was married, apparently. Married? And uh, had run away from her husband. Okay. Sued for divorce, and I think Andrew's firm may have uh, actually been doing the legal work for her divorce. And apparently, she had already been married more than once, and may or may not have been legally divorced from both husbands at the time that she married Andrew. All right, and and I've, I've never seen a definitive historical account that yes, she was or no, she wasn't. Okay. So, you know, apparently records were lost or whatever happened, but 
her her legal status in terms of their marriage was ambiguous. Okay. But their marriage was real. Okay. I mean, they were married in the church. He loved her. She loved him. Uh, I, I don't think they had children, uh, but they were a devoted married couple, and they, and they loved each other. And uh, after he married her, somebody started calling him a bigamist and saying that she was just a gold digger who went after a young lawyer because he could offer her a good future. Did they know who they were talking to? Well, Andrew took exception. Remember back then, uh, they, they did duels, and the, the uh, vice president killed the secretary of treasury in a duel. Right, that's... Um uh, Hamilton. Burr and Hamilton, uh, Burr shot Hamilton, and uh, Jackson engaged this man in a duel. And as Jackson was the challenger, he had to take the second shot. And the man took aim, you know, in the, in, in the east, just sort of pointed the gun in the general direction, pulled the trigger, and if it hit him, it hit him, if it didn't hit him. And, it was, and in the east, it was considered that if you aimed, it was considered assault and battery. Okay. If you hit him in the West, they sh- they tried to shoot each other. Right. And so the guy took, took his aim, shot at Andrew. And of course you had to stand up square. Uh-huh. So, you know, your whole chest was exposed and shot Andrew in the heart. And as it happens, Andrew had a hairbrush or some other object in his coat pocket, which absorbed enough of the bullet that it pierced him and was a lifelong wound that bothered him but didn't kill him. Okay. And so bleeding copiously, you know, it, apparently his lung punctured and uh, a wound near his heart. Andrew turned into firing stance and now I'm enacting it, pointing, pointing my arm, pointing the gun and blew the guy away, killed him. <laughs> okay. You know, so this is, this is where Andrew's fearsome reputation arose sure. from. Well, that would do it. You know, and then uh, pretty much collapsed, and they took him back, and he recovered from that wound. But he always he was always in impaired health after that. But he must have been proud of himself for what he did. No telling. No, I mean, you know, it's kind I of hard to be... I guess bad, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you, you just killed somebody. Wife, you so. stood up for your wife. I mean, you know, they all knew that, you know... Don't mess with this guy. He's, he's going to do it again, you know, so Rachel is now a saint. <laughs> right. Baptized in the blood of, you know, whoever it was who... who uh, Andrew shot and okay. Andrew's own blood. Okay. All right. So Andrew, I mean, all right. So he really loved her. So he goes, what's, what happens next? He goes right into the Congress or he goes into the military? So I believe he spent some time buying land. Okay. And uh, Did he buy the hermitage at this point? No, I can't remember when they bought the hermitage, but they were buying land. Okay. And um, they established themselves as planters. Okay. Meaning... Uh, they were growing cotton, mm-hmm. uh, maybe tobacco, uh, feed for uh, slaughtering animals, mm-hmm. and which in southern terms also meant that they owned slaves. Right. And I believe his, his number of slaves was uh, pretty high by the time he died. Early in his life, like then, it was probably like half a dozen or so. And uh, the... We don't have any evidence that he was particularly mean to his slaves. I mean, mm-hmm. they were basically uh, uncompensated farm laborers. So they, you know, they lived on the they lived on the on the premises, 
They were provided housing. Um, I don't know exactly how they got their food, whether it was supplied by the, the farm owner or whether they grew it on their own in separate plots. But basically, um, they lived there, you know, the same legal status basically as the livestock, which is a shameful way to treat human beings. Right. Um, it says here that Jackson did, uh, per, in 1803, he did purchase the... All right, so this is early on. So Hermitage is... is is early in his career, and you know this is a um, this because that's his home basically, right? Right, and and the name of it, you know, um, uh, your uh, Louis the Fourteenth had an Armitage, so it's 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 kind of a pretentious name, but it shows that uh, Andrew and Rachel aspired to being leading citizens, being regarded. Did he have friends as, that were high people. profile? Well, probably, you know, in Nashville mm-hmm. in early 1800s, I mean, they probably all hung out together. You know, I mean, there weren't that many places to go. And, but were these uh, were these people who were established throughout the country and, and well-respected in the vein of a John Quincy Adams? Or were these people? No. These were just people who made a little bit of money on the frontier? These, these were frontier people who were living on the edge of society. The literal edge of society. The literal edge of society, who were living on undeeded land, which was undeeded because it had been controlled by the Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, and they did not have a legal system that enforced deeds or even that made deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they held the land the way the Indians had always held the land, which was by force and by occupancy. That's the way the Indians so, held the land. Essentially, yeah. So... Uh, you know, and then they had to, they had to write deeds and everything to satisfy the American law. Okay. So uh, they were people who were interested in being recognized in the in the cultural centers, which for them was probably like Cincinnati, mm-hmm. you know, which was also a frontier city, but a bigger one, you what, know, on, what, a, on what, a big. What river. was Cincinnati's heyday? Oh, I don't know. People would probably say now, but. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Cincinnati's uh, uh, slogan or motto or namesake, whatever, is the Queen of the West. Okay, so it was probably so, period. Yeah, it, I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't Paris, but it was like, you know, right below Paris in these people's estimation. Was Cleveland already bigger and better than Cincinnati? Cleveland never had the cachet or the reputation for cultural. Uh, exuberance that Cleveland or that Cincinnati had. I mean, Cleveland was always kind of a, you know, a port, a factory center. Uh, it was a banking center, and uh, Cleveland was much quieter about whatever cultural attainments they made. Was St. Louis around at this time? St. Louis was still just just burgeoning. I mean, you know, St. Louis is several hundred miles farther west. How about Louisville? And, uh, we hadn't we hadn't really explored into the Louisiana Territory by now, you know, and, and St. Louis was a jumping off point for that. When was the Louisiana Territory uh, bought? Eighteen oh four. Okay. So uh, you know, 
Cincinnati was still pretty much now in this period eighteen like really, like maybe comparable to Chicago now. Cincinnati was wow. back then wow. comparable to Chicago That's now. Important. Yeah. Okay. Was um, Jackson in eighteen oh four? Let's say as a lawyer, is he a Jeffersonian? Oh, definitely. Why? Definitely. Um, well, Jefferson was still president, right? But that doesn't mean I support the uh, president. Jefferson was a Southern president, mm-hmm. and Jefferson supported the sort of expansionary yet decentralized form of government that Jackson uh, supported as president. That the country should get bigger, that the state was the repository of legal force, and uh, that the farmer, the yeoman farmer, the big plantation, well, more the yeoman farmer, was the uh, sturdy backbone of the society. And that the expansion of the United States was to uh, promote the continuation of the yeoman farmer as the backbone of the country. So Jackson had the view, the Jeffersonian view of an agrarian society. Correct. Okay. And, you know, if you weren't a farmer, then you should be some kind of skilled craftsman who supported the farmer. Okay. So we'll go into, we'll finish this episode here, and our next episode will go into the beginning of his military career. Okay. Do you have anything you want to add about this early stage? Does, does he have good prospects? Not prospects. Nobody thinks he become Jackson, but does he have, what are the prospects? If you're a normal person in town with him, you meet him, you guys are together in Nashville. He just bought the Hermitage. What is your ceiling for him? I, 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 I think they had to recognize the scintillating intelligence. I mean, he was a very, very intelligent man. But not lettered. But, but not lettered. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about a period in history, you know, before universal literacy. Mm-hmm. So people knew just because you couldn't read and write didn't mean that you were in, in any way deficient in your intellectual capacities right. other than you were unlettered. Um, they had to recognize the driving ambition. They had to recognize the the determination and bordering on unscrupulousness. You know, I, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that he he was somebody who took advantage of people, but certainly if he thought he was right, as in the case of that of that duel over over Rachel's honor, mm. he was going to take it to the nth degree. He was going to take it as far as he had to take it before he was killed in in pushing his his view of things. If he thought he was right. When he thought he was right. So he felt acquitted, let's say, in his duel in, because he felt he was in the right. He was defending him. He had a very funny moral code, you know, because, I mean, clearly it's not a Christian code. I mean, there's, there's no justification no, yeah, yeah, right. in any part of Christianity that would permit a duel. Right. Yet he felt that he was entirely justified in challenging the man to the duel, and when he killed him, it was it was adjudicated as some kind of honor death, okay. you know, honor killing. So it was not viewed as uh, a pun- you know, there's no punitive action attached to it. Right. I mean, his reputation suffered, 
you know, because Jackson, Jackson will kill, kill people, him. you know. Yeah. Uh, but there was no punitive action approach. So it was it was a funny code, but it was prevalent among the upper classes, which is which is what's really unusual about Jackson, is that even though we see him as the uh, champion of the common man, he was very influenced and to a large degree uh, acted on the code that the the I would like to get into maybe the next episode we could get into his resentment towards the or his feelings in general towards the upper class. But All right. let's just end there for now. Okay. Then we'll pick up our next episode with beginning with his military career. Okay.